Hello, welcome to Supernatural Stories, the show where you'll hear real stories of the supernatural from real people all across Canada. I'm your host and producer of the show, Cal Goodbaum, broadcasting from Rocking Chair Studio in Toronto. I hope you enjoy the show wherever you are. Thanks for listening, sharing it with your friends, and thank you for all of your encouragement. I really appreciate it. Happy Halloween! It's been a while since I last podcasted, and boy has a lot happened since then. I got married, I got a new job, and I've been extremely busy. Today, I took my first well-earned day off from the new job, and I already have 30 emails to respond to. That's life. I originally started the podcast when I was out of work and recovering from a major life-saving surgery. Before that surgery, I was a touring professional musician. It's not a big-time musician. I just played venues in southern Ontario. I performed a lot in London and in Gravenhurst especially, unlike Muskoka. Being a musician was why I had a bunch of microphones and recording equipment lying around that enabled me to start podcasting. And even better, I have this fantastic studio where I'm recording from in downtown Toronto. It was an old neighbor of the studio who got me in touch with my guest last episode, Porter McKnight, who is a musician in the band Atreyu. I recorded more stories with Porter, and if you stay tuned, I've got a really awesome story from him about a visit to a graveyard later in the episode. Because I was a musician, I think that's why I felt such an affinity with Porter, and I have that same affinity with the storyteller I'm about to introduce to you. The same neighbor let me know that she has an album coming out next month called The Fool, and I was intrigued. Clearly, she would want to talk about tarot, but maybe she would have some other stories to share. Sate is a very talented musician from Toronto. Her music is super cool, edgy, and just full of talent. It's rare to hear such an accomplished musician who's so bashful and modest and fun to talk to, just like Porter was. We spoke about her album and also about the passing of her father, Howard Berkeley Matthews, and her mother, the singer Salome Bay. My father passed in 2016 and my mother passed just last year. She passed in August 2020, actually August 8th, so 8-8-2020. And, um, I mean, I'm I'm into numerology and and all that, so, like, just, just the parallel, she's born October 10th. 1933 so she's got a lot of double numbers around her and she just like kind of she came in on a double number went out on a double number (laughs) you know so what i will say about her actually her passing um i knew i knew when my dad was passing because he had cancer so i was prepared for that and while my both my parents were together in a nursing home dad obviously passed before before the pandemic so i was able to be there with him Mm -hmm. so with my mom i got a call um and it was really out of the blue for me it's not like i wasn't expecting her to pass at some point um but i just didn't i wasn't I, i didn't know that she was not well yeah um like versus my dad but what happened the day before she passed i started thinking about this this woman that had been like a mother figure a mentor 
and I was thinking about her, and um, and then she messaged. Me. I was like, I haven't spoken to you in such a long time. I was thinking about you, and and I was thinking about all of these different um, mother figures in my life, and and there was a moment of like, I know that if when my mother passes. There are so many mother figures in my life to to step in. So this was like a it might have been two days before she passed, mm. but it was like within days before she passed. Um, and and when <laughs> I was like, uh, I mean, I I call I call my mother names, but in a in a loving way, I was like, bitch. You just sent me all of these women just to remind me I'm okay. Thanks so much, (laughs) you know. I, I knew that she was sending me messages. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me that that seems natural that when people are dying, it's like they are aware that they're so close to the other world that they're slipping yeah. into the other world. And, yeah. you know, you being someone who's psychic to this, uh, sensitive to this to this stuff, to psychic things, you're easier to reach maybe than other people. But yeah. it's, it's like they're, they're starting to reach out to people before they've passed on. And it's a phenomenon that I've now found talking to lots and lots of people. So I, I think it's really meaningful for people to hear about that because it can um, help sometimes with the grieving to know that um, these things happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and I mean, yeah. When so many things have happened since my since my mother's passing, just just the people that she's contacted and and how we end up. Um, she was a performer. Yeah, very and, a very famous one. Actually, I don't know if you want to talk. Yeah. About <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, Salome Bay, and uh, she was she was a singer, but also an actor in theater. And when she first came to Toronto, um, she was singing. She was um, just singing in clubs, not just singing in clubs, but she wasn't. She hadn't been doing theater at the time, mm-hmm. and. Um, some some way something something happened where she met this man named Robert Swordlow, and she um, auditioned for him, and he fell in love with her voice, and he brought her back to, because she's American, um, brought her back to the states to do an off Broadway show, and you know she won uh, an off Broadway award for that, and then went on Broadway and did other shows and everything. So that's kind of like her and Robert. So um, when she passed, I um, I opened up a Instagram account and started putting up stuff about her her legacy and stories and pictures and everything and i put up this i had this picture from that show um which was called justine here in toronto and then when it went to new york 
they renamed it Love Me, Love My Children. So, so I had this post already for, and I can't even remember what the day was, but I had it ready for a specific day. And just the day just kept going by. And I was like, oh, it's too late to put the post up. I'm going to put it up tomorrow. So I put it up the next day. And I thought something, something or someone, (laughs) I'll say my mother, told me to look for Robert Swerdlow. So I went searching for him on on, on the net and got to his website. His phone number was there. So I called and he answered the phone and he was like, oh, hi, how are you? And I said, hi, this is Salome's daughter. And he said, oh my God. Oh my God, wow. And he said, I've been answering the phone today um, because all of my friends have been calling because it's my, my 83rd birthday. All of my friends have been calling to wish me a happy birthday because it's my birthday. And I was like, well, here's another call from a friend wishing you a happy birthday, I guess. Oh, wow. So, yeah, things like that have been happening. That's incredible. I got goosebumps all over from that. Yeah, yeah. We just, we just sat on the phone just like in awe just and and hugest smile i was like wow salome you did it again (laughs) yeah How do you decide to call the album the fool and what was the process of kind of um because you know for most people the tarot they're they're kind of like scared of it to a certain extent and not me so i'm really interested in, in knowing how it came into your life if it wasn't tarot it was numerology and um astrology and, you know just just all of the esoteric um tools that we have at our fingertips, right? The reason why I called it the fool is because um, I would I think it was like 2017 maybe I was seeing the numbers 1122 a lot and like so much that I started telling people and I was sending texts I was like there it is again 1122 and and by the time that I was sending texts, I knew what it was. So 11 for me is my life path number. Mm-hmm. And in tarot, it's justice. It's the justice card, which is Libra. And that's me. So I was like, okay, well, yeah, 11 is me. But then I was like, what is 22? And uh, 22 is the fool. 
it's the zero it's got a zero on the card but it's actually the 22nd card and i was like oh the fool and that's when all of this information just started flooding towards me or all of this understanding of me being the fool um being on a fool's journey mm-hmm. as especially as an artist but as a human being just uh always stepping into the unknown always stepping off the cliff always actually what i said to myself i was like i'm always flinging myself off the cliff because it's like i don't know what i'm doing and sometimes it's so f- scary that i have to literally push myself off the cliff to get it done and then just decided to go deeper into my study of the tarot especially the major arcana you know bought a bunch of books more books took a tarot course and all of that because in calling the album the fool I was like well I should make tarot cards to go with this so just really going into the symbolism of it how it all played into the music specifically for me because this is my own fool's journey realizing that everyone's a fool on their own fool's journey Could I share a story with you that happened, I think, probably about 10 days or, or so ago, very recently? Absolutely. So I was out for a walk downtown Toronto um, in the annex, and uh, growing up, we went to a synagogue that's there that's kind of unusual because, first off, it's downtown and there's not a lot of them there, and it's very small. And it never looked like a normal synagogue, which are like really large buildings. This is just a little kind of tiny church-like building. So I wanted to show my wife the building because she had never seen it. So we go over to the building and it's actually under renovation. The whole thing, the front of it's taken off. You can see inside, it's all gutted. You can see down to the roof and everything. And just looking there, she gets a really weird feeling come over her, like a sick, dizzy feeling, like her head starts hurting and she asks if we can leave. So we start walking away. We take like 50 steps maybe. And then she stops and she can't move. She just says, I can't move. Just wait. I need to let this pass over me. It's such a heavy feeling. It's such a bad feeling. Mm. We went home and we go and we research a little bit on the internet. Because I'm saying, what was that building before it was the synagogue? It had to have been something. It's an old building. So it was originally built in 1860. And it was the Forester's Lodge, which was like an insurance company. And then around 1912... It was taken over by something called the Bethel Church. Mm-hmm. And they didn't stay there for too long, but they were there for a few years. The Bethel Church is a supernatural church. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they call themselves, is a supernatural church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. look about them, they're a church where people communicate with spirits and ghosts, where mm-hmm. there's faith healing. They even describe being able to, like, heal lost limbs. Mm-hmm. So they're Mm -hmm. really intense. This is beyond like snakes. This is really intense Mm -hmm. spiritual Mm -hmm. church. And it's based on the teaching that there's modern day apostles and modern day miracles. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of a charged space. They were doing actual seances, actual rituals Mm -hmm. there to try and summon spirits. 
And so then we're reading down, and then it says one of the things that they would do is they would summon balls of energy into the church. So like ball lightning. Mm-hmm. I remembered when I was very young, 10, 11 years old, I had a dream where I was at that synagogue and a ball of lightning comes in. And I, I researched mm-hmm. ball lightning, and it's a real thing. It's, it's, you can re- read about it. So that night we go to sleep. And um, when I sleep, I wear a sleep mask and I put earplugs in because I'm a really light sleeper. So I put in my earplugs and I put on my sleep mask and I haven't fallen asleep yet. I'm just just put on my sleep mask. And my wife, Alex, starts like grabbing my shoulder to try and wake me up. And I'm like really tired. So I don't immediately, you know, after a couple seconds, I take off my sleep mask and I take out my earplugs and she's absolutely freaking out. She says, there was a light, there was a light, there was a light, there was a light there, there was a light in the doorway. I'm like telling her to calm down and what, what's going on. She said there was a glowing light that looked like a ball of energy in our doorway, six feet off the ground-ish. And then the second that I took off my sleep mask, it went, it just disappeared. Huh. So she's terrified. I'm trying to tell her, don't be terrified. This is just one of those things and relax. And there's no reason to think it's a ghost or that it's anything nefarious. Who knows? What I tell her that finally makes her relax, I say, maybe it's the ghost of a raccoon. Who knows? You know, (laughs) she she relaxes and goes to sleep, but I don't relax. I can't fall asleep. And I'm just watching the hours tick by thinking I'm going to be up all night at 3.30 in the morning, which... If, you know, people, that's like the witching hour. At 3.30 in the morning, I really don't want to go to the bathroom, but nature calls, I have to go. So I go to the bathroom and our bathroom faces out onto like the backyard and there's no lights back there. It's all pitch black. And then through the window, there's this super bright light. This illuminates the whole bathroom. So I go over to the window to look out, like what's that light? And then the light just goes off. The second I look out the window, that's weird sit down on the toilet the light turns back on so i look again through the window and this time i wait i look out for like two minutes to see if it's like a light that's turning off and on or someone's shining a light or whatever it is nothing happens the light turns back on again the second that i turn around Mm. okay so i tell myself this is really freaky in context of what happened earlier and I look out the window for a long time and so I, I'm done, I'm going to the door and I, I think in my head if this is real it'll do it again and then it does it again, the light turns on as I'm at the door and I turn around, to like try to catch it and literally this, just as soon as I turn around the light turns off so pretty pretty freaky and this is not the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've had weirder things than that happen, but the context of it being at that place where the Bethel mm-hmm. church had been really, mm-hmm. really got me thinking that like something about that spot. I don't want to say the name of the synagogue because I don't want people to go and start sneaking around the construction site or whatever, but something about yeah. that spot, it gave her that reaction that she felt immediately sick. And then we had that experience at that night. So... I, I, I still, since then, you're the first person other than my parents, I think, who I've told about it. It's really interesting that um, you had experienced as a child the light, mm-hmm. and that was like the just in a dream. 
Yeah, just in a dream that I re suddenly remembered. Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder, I wonder about um, the communication there. What's what is trying to communicate with you there? That's mm -hmm. what it sounds. That's where I go. I'm like, okay, you had forgotten about that dream. That dream happened, and it was, you know, you had the dream. You remember the dream. So many years later. And then you're walking by, something pulls you to the church to then bring back that light. Mm -hmm. Who or what is communicating with you? It very much felt like that. And it, it also, the way that it would blink off and on made me think about like trickster kind of archetypes. Because it, yeah. was, it was like it was deliberately playing a little joke on me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I love, um, I love this world. I don't always share the stories that happen to me or my wife on this show, but when it's a story like that, I think it is too good not to share. I actually told my parents this story the day after it happened, and they were quite gobsmacked by it, but I realized that other than them, I didn't really have anyone to share the story with. Luckily, I found a kindred spirit in Sate. If, like myself, you are looking to share stories that you find really amazing and can't explain, but don't have that friend in your life who understands these sort of things, this podcast is a place for you to have that space. You can get in touch with me at supernaturalstoriescanada at gmail.com. That's one word, supernaturalstoriescanada at gmail.com. Sorry it's such a long email. The Supernatural Stories one was already taken by someone who never used it. Another reason I was eager to share that story about the orb is that it offers a nice transition into this next story from Porter McKnight, specifically that moment of a spot making you feel sick and especially feeling heavy. I go to Scotland a lot. I'd gone every year multiple times for a decade, and some of my best friends were there. Best man at my wedding was there. And I just have always felt like a calling, like literally nowhere else. My wife and I were on a trip there, and there's a, uh, a graveyard there called Greyfriars Bobby. It's kind of Greyfriars Kirk. It's behind where J.K. Rowling wrote her first Harry Potter novel when she had no money. And she actually found names for characters in the books. I think Voldemort and McGonagall, she found them on gravestones. Oh, I love graveyard. that detail. That's so cool. Yeah, so it's pretty fun. And so I spent a lot of time in there. And I wanted to take my wife just a nighttime walk through there because it's just such a calm and peaceful and beautiful thing. I'm a photographer, as I've mentioned, so I had my camera with me and we were kind of walking around the graveyard. I'm like taking some photos of some stuff. And my wife's like, I think, I think someone's curious about what you're up to. I'm like, okay. Like, yeah, I think they want to know what's happening. And so I'm like, okay, I'll explain it. So I'm like, here I have this camera. Um, this is a, a device that captures this image in this moment through a lens and it puts it onto a, a digital file that I, that I can, you know, I'm explaining how a camera works. Uh, this is a tripod, et cetera, because it was my thing. She's, so she's like, I think, I think he wants to point you to take a picture. I'm like, okay. So he like moves us around perfectly. Like she's like, okay, here. Like you made it take it here. And it was a like a terrible image. I'm like, do you want me to take a photo of this? And uh, she's like, yeah. 
So I'm like, okay. So I take the photo. I explain what's happening. And then we look at the photo, and he had lined us up perfectly so that his grave was a silhouette next to me and her. So he took a photo with us as best he could. And so his name then is William. And we went and have talked to him after that. Uh, he was about 18 years old when he passed. And like once we learned that and once we read his name, that we had like chills and goosebumps all over our body. And so we're just blown away. And like he were kind of walking around and you could feel his like excitement go through us. You know what I mean? Like it was, we, it was just this weird giddy sensation that washed over us. Um, and so we kind of walk around the graveyard a little bit more and my wife's curious about different areas. And so we go up to the top and you could feel like William left, like he didn't like to go to that side of it. And we started to go towards this area and it was this area where this guy, I believe it was his last name, was named McKenzie, where he chained up some, uh, there were Catholics and Protestants, right? Mm-hmm. With a big thing between Scotland and England. And at some point he had chained up, I believe they were Protestants in that area and left them to die. And it was a source of great misery. He was, killed a lot of people. Um, and he's buried in that graveyard as well. And so we start to walk up and clearly my wife is very open at that point because we were just communicating with William. And so we go up and she like starts to walk towards that area. She doesn't know anything's there. It's like, she has no idea the history of that area. Uh, and she's like, starts to get really weak and starts to get really faint and kind of like leans rests against this tree. And I'm like, maybe we shouldn't go up there because of this and that. She's like, yeah, I can't. So we leave, right? Uh, we get back to our friend's house and this was about like one in the morning. So we get back to theirs, we go to sleep and we have our own little guest room. And I guess at like three in the morning, I wasn't aware of this. Um, but at three in the morning, the middle of the night, well, obviously that's three in the morning, but she wakes up and it's a, it's a very high ceiling room, maybe like 12 foot ceilings. She sees this very dark silhouette in the corner, the upper corner of the room much darker than the rest of the room. There's no rhyme or reason to the shadow. There's no light in there besides the skylight. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it rushes down towards us. It hits me. I fold up, like, like it just straight up, like, legs meet head type fold up, yep. fall down, and I don't wake up, and the thing disappears. And so she's like, what the f*** just happened? Oh, my goodness, couldn't sleep for a bit. Eventually fell asleep. The next morning, she tells me about this. And I'm like, that's weird because I feel like I got hit by a truck. Like, we didn't drink. We didn't eat like shit. We didn't do anything. There's no reason why I would have woken up like that. But I was completely drained. And fast forwarding to another trip in that same graveyard, um, we go through there with some friends in the daytime. And we're telling them about this story. And they're like, well, this is fun. Because this was maybe a year later, two years later like telling about that story and then we go up and we go to that McKinsey guy's grave and we like look inside the grave and it's like this vault, massive vault. It's really, really pretty with this grate and it goes down into some stairwell, uh, down even lower. And we all look in and, and, and my wife looks in and sees a face that like pushes her away. And so we're like, what the f-? That's so wild. So we leave it alone. We respect it. But it can't, she can't get it off of her mind. So she's like, I want to go there. I want to go there. That night, we're like, we want to go. 
So we go in, we talk to William again, he hangs out, and we're like about to go over. She's like, hey, I want to go over there. I'm like, are you sure about that? She's like, yeah, I want to go over. I'm like, I'm not sure we should, but if you feel like it, I'll be here for you. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, let's, let's, I think we should go and, and we should just see what's going on over there. At that time, out of nowhere, a dog walks up in the middle of this, like, streetlight illuminated, slightly rainy, misty evening. This dog walks up out of nowhere. This beautiful, not like a stray dog, like a beautiful bulldog. And we're like, what's up, fella? <laughs> and he's, we don't see anyone, nothing nothing happens. And then out of nowhere, this woman appears with an umbrella. Uh, this Scottish woman. And she comes up and she's like, hey, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we just love this area. We come here at night because it's so peaceful. She's like, yeah, I, I sometimes come out to, to walk my dog and I just felt like I needed to come out here tonight. So I did. We're like, yeah, that's great. That's nice to meet you. Like, are you from around here? She's like, I'm staying at my sister's house down the way. And she's like, did you guys hear about what happened to the newscaster that stayed in the tomb up there? And we're like, what? She's like, yeah, this newscaster came and wanted to challenge uh, the ghost of this guy, Mackenzie, that lives up there. And both Julie and I look at each other like, okay. She's like, yeah, there's been a lot of, like, a lot of tour groups will go through there and they'll have, like, you know, scratches and bruises on their arms and stuff. People come out, like, with weird situations and uh, just, like, these haunted moments. And so this newscaster was, for a story, was like, I'm going to go spend the night in that tomb. So, like... Tourism, they wanted to raise tourism so that the people let them, or the city let them, or whatever, yeah. and let him go in there. I guess he lasted about three hours before he was like, get me the f*** out of there. And, like, horrible, horrible visions. I think he even had, like, physical issues. Hmm. And then a week later, he died. No way. Like, freak, freak accident, just dude died. No reason why he should have. And so we were just like, that is a wild story. Like, as we had just said, like, we want to go up there. We're going to go to this place. This woman appears out of the mist and just, like, tells us to go, like, this up story. And so we're like, wow, thank you for letting us know. That is very interesting. She doesn't, we, she doesn't know our plan either. So the lady and her dog leave, and we're sitting there, and, and Julie's like, I still want to go. I'm like, even after what we just heard, like, I'm not sure we should do this. Like, I don't think it's in our, in our best interest to do this. As curious as, as we both may be. She's like, I think I, think I kind of want to do it. And then all of a sudden, and it might have even been, now that I'm thinking about it, towards the end of that conversation, she started to feel this way. But she started to feel this, like, strange weight come over her. And, like, this heaviness and this, like, sickness go over her, where her feet literally felt like a bunch of hands holding her down, or, like, really, really heavy, hot boots holding her down. But it wasn't a hot night, and she wasn't wearing, you know, like, it wasn't something she was wearing. But she just had this overwhelming, like, stay the fuck here type feeling, right? She's like, I don't think I can move. I'm like, just grab my arm, like, let's, let's try to go. And so we make our way towards the exit. In the moment... We got outside of that cemetery walls, it lifted. 
A quick Google search confirmed some, but not all, of the details of the Bloody George Mackenzie's mausoleum. Specifically that it is haunted, that is fairly established. Numerous people visiting the site have reported all kinds of poltergeisty phenomena, ranging from scratches to feeling sick. It is also quite horrifyingly true that Mackenzie is buried in the very same cemetery where the bodies lie of all the people who he ordered the brutal torture of. Their heads once decorated the spiked fences of that very place. The bit about the journalist staying there and then dying cannot be confirmed, but sounds a bit more like a local urban legend designed to scare off visitors to the mausoleum, and for good reason. One homeless man who made it his home fell through the floor. The hole is still visible, according to the internet. Some teenagers also came and desecrated graves there. With all of that, it makes sense to try and scare away anyone from entering. Even more so when you think about someone psychically sensitive like Porter and his wife, who clearly could have been in for more than they bargained for. I'm sure you were as surprised as I was when he was seriously planning to go for it. The music featured in this episode was from Unheard Music Concepts with Soft Despair, Blue Dot Sessions with Sogo Wee and Lakeside Path, Leon Lishner and Friends with Stremlin Fagel off Savan, Birds Are Drowning in the Branches, Blue Dark with Lifeless Terrain, Moki McFly with Mercury, Cohen Park with East Coast Hip Hop in the 80s, and Sate with her title track off her new album The Fool, and with The World, the rest were original tracks. Thank you for listening to Supernatural Stories, and thanks for telling your friends about the show and supporting A Place for the Supernatural in Canada. There isn't another thing like this for people to share these stories, and there won't be unless you support it. So let people know about it. Get in touch with your true story at www.supernaturalstories.ca. Till next time. Tiny deaths alone